Good morning. You guys can talk back to the preacher. Good morning. Yeah. We're about to jump into God's Word. So would you grab the Bible in front of you, the Bible that you brought, the app that you may have, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue the book of Ephesians through this Horizons series. I entitled this sermon in particular, Problems with Authority. Have you ever noticed that we have problems with authority? Maybe not you, but you know others. Have you noticed how different generations, as we continue to have new generations, there seems to be this lack of wanting to actually obey those who are in authority? The idea of authority fights against our desire to be individualistic and to be without oversight, to not be bound to have to do anything. But here's the thing, and and you're going to hear me talk about this more and more, especially over the next few weeks, that when we receive Christ... When we become a Christian, we first become a new creation, and then we, are, we receive a new identity, and through that, we become a people, God's people. So we become a new creation, we get a new identity, and we become God's people. In fact, we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter, the apostle, the one who gives me so much hope because he constantly stuck his foot in his mouth, hallelujah. Peter speaks to the church in a book entitled 1 Peter chapter 2. In this chapter, he says in verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Can I get someone to testify? Once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is good news. And this is what it means to be God's people, not a member of Church of the Valley per se, not an attender, not someone who goes to church, but to be God's people. As we studied last week, there is an order to things, and there is responsibility even in the family structure. Last week, maybe you came in and maybe you're not married, and you started to think, well, maybe this message isn't for me because I'm not married or I'm not married anymore, but nothing could be farther from the truth as marriage is a reflection of the gospel through submission, reconciliation, and the beauty of an intimate relationship with the spouse but also with your God. Today, we will talk about submission and relationships that almost all of us, I would assume, have been under at some point. First as children to parents, and then also in some type of work relationship, or even in a servant relationship. I want us to see that each relationship discussed from this point in chapter 5 and chapter 6 are relationships that are a reflection of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of our earthly relationships that are found in Christ, they are reflections of our eternal relationship with this triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's important to note before we begin that relationships that tend to be viewed as authoritarian have more to do with responsibility than they even do with authority. And so you're going to hear that theme throughout this text. Because there is a responsibility for those who are considered in charge. 
There are expectations that are given to them which they should, if they are a good steward of the responsibility entrusted to them, they should then attempt to equip, develop, and help those underneath them succeed. Let me show you what I mean. Starting in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. If you're new to Church of the Valley, here's what we do. We read a little, we talk a little, we read a little, we talk a little, we read a little, we talk a little, and then there's some pulled pork, hallelujah, and amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Can I get an amen from a parent up in here? See, I kind of look like a genius now having kids in service, don't I? Let's, let, your, your elbow and your kids, listen to the pastor. He knows what he's talking. No, 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 it's not what I'm saying. It's what the word of God says. Don't listen to me. Listen to the very words of God. Children, obey, comply, submit to an order or a directive or a rule. Here's the thing. I, and I know you're going to be shocked by this, but I was a horrendous kid. I know you're shocked. I was so difficult. I, I wouldn't listen. I remember my, I, I got something in my eye. Uh, we were, I was living in Nebraska with my mom when she kidnapped me, for those of you that don't know me. And we were in Nebraska, and she had to call the fire department because there was something in my eye, and it took five firefighters to hold me down as a three-and-a-half-year-old to get that thing out of my eye. I was difficult. I fought against authority. I fought against rules. And the reason I was so difficult was simply because I had a true issue with authority. I'm glad that's passed. <laughs> and the idea that someone would tell me what to do really cranked my gears, if you will, even as a young child. But let's get real about this. I was not trained to be like this. There was no class that I went to to figure out how to not listen to authority. No one equipped me to be someone who wanted to fight against rules. What's, for most of us, children's first word is mommy or daddy, right? All four of my kids, daddy, what up? But what's the first word of response that most children have when they're little? No. Now, that was mine. And the thing is, I probably knew that word because of how often I was told no. But to be totally honest, I was pretty selfish as a child. And this is how all of us are as we're born into this world. My second response word, even though I was an only child, was mine. And I would guess that's many of our kids as well. No and then mine. And this is how we all are, not because we were trained by our parents to do these things, but this is the nature in which we're born with. Let me show you something we studied a few months back in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul's speaking, he's reminding the church in Ephesus about where they were before Jesus Christ. As for you, in Ephesians 2, verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And I always like to ask this question, what can you do when you're dead? Nothing. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So our sin nature, hear me, is, is something that we are born into. It's not something we adopt through circumstance. We have a sin nature. This is where we start. And for so many of us, we just want to go, well, people are inherently good. Let me answer that with a very strict point. People are not good without the Holy Spirit. They might be humanitarians. 
They might be good as far as the things that they do and the stuff they move around, but to do things good in God's sight, you must have the Spirit of God inside of you. But it is through investment. It is through care and discipline from parents to their children that helps not just change their behavior, but hopefully first, their belief system. I can only speak firsthand knowledge of myself and how I grew up and how my children are growing up, but here's the difference between me and my kids. I did not grow up hearing the word of God. My children are consistently. And as parents, we should always be looking to develop our children to mature. No one wants a 40-year-old kid sitting in their basement playing Call of Duty. And if you do, let's talk. And maturity is the key, which happens through experience and obedience. Don't miss that. Maturity happens through experience and obedience. A lot of people have experience, but they haven't actually obeyed. And we want to develop our children towards maturity so they are not reliant on parents for the rest of their lives. See, your job as parents, as we're raising our children, is to work yourself out of a job so they can be more reliant upon what they've learned rather than just you. And because of this responsibility, there are simple instructions given to our children from the Word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Huh. The respect that children are to give to their parents is essential for a well-ordered society. And can we just, let's, let's just talk about the fact there are different generations in this room. And, and the older that I've gotten, the more I've looked at other generations, those after me, that have come after me and gone, you guys have no respect. Man, your parents should spank you more, even now. And this is one of those difficult things where we're looking at people who decide that they don't want to listen to the laws, they don't want to listen to people that are in authority, but here's the thing. Those of us who are a little bit more mature, a little bit more seasoned, we were just like them at one point. And so, so there's this wrestling, there's this struggle, because it's so easy for us to say, I wasn't like them. You were just in a different generation, just in a different culture. You didn't want to listen. And obedience involves recognition of authority. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Obedience involves recognition of authority. When we obey our parents, when we obey our boss or the Lord, it is because we recognize the authority that they possess. But as we'll continue to see in this text, those with authority have been entrusted a large responsibility. Verse 2. Paul continues, quoting Exodus chapter 20 through the Ten Commandments, and he says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. In verse 1, Paul addresses the action, which means to obey. It means that's what you're going to do. But here in verse 2, he's addressing the motive that you would honor. See, here's the interesting thing about honoring. You honor by obeying. So you're like, how do I honor my parents? You obey them. You do as what they say. So Paul points us back to the Ten Commandments where God spoke to the offspring of parents and told them to honor their authority figures as it is right before the Lord. This was the first of the commandments that were relational between man and others, and it was with a promise. Here's the promise, verse 3. So that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. See, honoring your parents doesn't mean your life will be easy. 
or it'll even be a long life lasting of breathing, if you will. But that you will experience life and life abundantly as you reflect your honor and love for your heavenly father by obeying your earthly parents. That's easier said than done, but it's definitely a symptom because if you cannot obey your earthly parents, don't tell me you're going to obey your heavenly father. For me, it took a God, man, God, man, physically rising out of a tomb for me to start to listen to the possibility that God could be real. But the problem that I had once I realized Jesus Christ came out of a grave was this, that if God were real, that I was going to be held accountable to him. And that's scary. So we've talked about the fact that obeying is how honor is produced, but what happens and some of you are already thinking about this because we're all kind of argumentative. What happens if your parents are asking you to do something that is against Scripture? Or let me say it this way. What if your parents, in your mind, don't deserve honor? Anyone like that? No, don't raise your hands. First off, them not deserving honor is subjective. So you, as their child, is probably not a good judge. Just going to be real about that, especially if you're younger. Case in point. Our kids, at one point, or kids in general, may say they hate their parents, and then the same day, they may say they love them. So at the very least, kids are pretty fickle. But here's my question. Are your parents that you're trying to follow, are they abusive? I'm not talking about spankings as discipline. I'm talking about hurting you because they are attempting to control you. Do they tell you things to hurt your feelings and lower your self-esteem so you won't be confident enough to disobey them? Outside of abuse, honestly, when it comes to following and listening to your parents, you should always obey. Unless they're abusive, you should always obey. And this is for the greater good. You probably won't see it right now if you're young, but eventually you will. But because of this, look at the instruction Paul gives fathers, because he's just talked about obeying. He's just talked to these children, obey your parents, honor your parents. And then he says, fathers, man, do not exasperate your children. I'm so guilty of this. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, technically, this text, fathers, this is to kind of relieve some of the tension. Fathers can be translated to parental units. <sighs> but in the first century, the fathers, the men of the household, were the patriarchs of the families, and they had the responsibility of leadership in the families, and I would contend that's still true today. Paul was and is addressing the way in which fathers especially would attempt to get their children to obey. Do not exasperate, do not provoke, or attempt to dominate by force. Rather, train and instruct your children. Can I just be honest? For me, as a pastor of a church, as an evangelist who's spoken in lots of different contexts, you know what the hardest thing for me in ministry to do is? To train up the second hardest thing? is to train up my children in the Lord. It's difficult. And they can't even go anywhere, right? Like, no, you're going to sit down with me. But it's still so hard. But hear me, leading is not about authority. It's about responsibility. If you take one note, take that one note. 
Leading is not about authority. It's about responsibility. So why is it so hard for me, a pastor, to invest in my children? Let me take you back to the book of Genesis. Let me take you back to that right as the fall happened. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Now, for those of you that maybe don't know the story quite well, basically God saw Adam and Eve, creates Adam, puts him in the garden, creates Eve because it was not good for man to be alone, and gives him a helpmate. And now Adam and Eve are in the garden, and God goes to who to tell him not to eat from the tree that is of good, good and evil, of knowledge. He goes to Adam. And he tells Adam, do not eat from this tree. And then the slivery snake comes and starts to have a conversation with Eve and starts to tell Eve, hey, no, 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 what God said, no, that's not true. You should eat from the tree. And then Eve takes a piece of fruit. It's not apple. It doesn't say apple. We always want to say it's apple. It's a piece of fruit and eats from it. Oh, Eve. But you know who's even worse off? Adam. Because you know what it says? And then Eve gave some to Adam who was standing right there like a passive idiot. I mean, he was standing right there. God went to Adam and said, do not eat from this tree. And Adam allowed his wife to eat from the tree. So then God curses Adam and says to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, to dust you will return. Men, we were created to work. You know why I know that? Because Adam worked before the fall. We were created to cultivate. Even before the fall, Adam had a job of naming all the animals, and men were created to cultivate, to till the soil, if you will, of others, to raise up and develop and invest in our families. So you want to know why it's so hard for me to invest in my children? Because of the curse. And there is this curse which makes it hardest for me, actually the hardest thing for me to do, if I'm honest, is to pray with my wife. The second hardest is to invest in my children. Why? Because the curse has made it difficult. That's not an excuse. I'm just telling you that's where it comes from. That's why it's difficult for us to do. So if you're a part of this church and you consider me your pastor and you are a husband who's leading a family and you're struggling, investing in your children and praying with your wife, you are not alone. But difficult responsibilities are still responsibilities. So when it comes to my children... And you guys know this, because right now my wife is investing in a bunch of our uh, younger children right now, and she invests in them every second service every week. My wife is uniquely gifted at investing in children. Here's the crazy thing about my wife. My wife loves your kids, too. That's weird. Like, I get loving my kids. But she loves everyone's kids. And she's uniquely gifted in investing in them and developing them and speaking life into them and showing them unconditional love. But that doesn't take away from the responsibility that I have 
to also invest in each one of my children because, hear me, I will give an account to the Lord for how I invested in my family. See, uh, ladies, just so you know, this is how I preach to men on men's retreats. So you're getting to hear it this time and stop bumping them and say, listen to that, pastor. Don't do that. Fathers in particular have the responsibility to shepherd their families. But what if you're a widow? What if you're a divorcee? Or you're someone whose husband or baby daddy wants nothing to do with actually raising or developing his children. Let me give you an explanation based on a story in a second. See, here's the thing. There is a large difference. Don't don't miss this. There is a large difference between being a male and being a man. Large difference. Males who refuse to actually take the responsibility of their families may be males, but they ain't men. Feel free to let them know that I said that. You can quote your pastor. Here's why I say this. Because there came a time in my marriage a few years in where against the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I stopped stopped attempting to spiritually lead my wife. I wasn't praying for her. I wasn't going to church with her. And we started to have kids, and I'll be honest, I retreated back to who I was before Christ. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that I would drag the old man with me. And I wasn't helping her with her spiritual walk. I wasn't helping her with the children. I was essentially absent, and I would retreat back to my home office where I would start to watch and get addicted to things on the, online that I shouldn't have been. You want to know what my wife did? Because my wife gets emails and texts and Facebook messages pretty often because, unfortunately, a lot of wives have had to go through what my wife went through. You want to know what my wife did in that circumstance? She prayed for me. She loved me. She didn't try to lead me, but she led our kids spiritually because I would not. My wife is the rock star in our relationship by far. She has put up with me at my worst and loved me even when she didn't like me very much. And she had Christian women telling her that she should leave me. And yet she had hope. So maybe you're in a place in a relationship where you think there is no hope for your man. My wife and I can testify that the Spirit of God can transform any male into being a man. And they can understand and live up to their responsibilities. Not perfectly, but God can use them to pursue them. Verse 5. This should be fun. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear as with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Man, take a moment. I want you to live in the tension for a second that the Bible is talking about slavery. Paul is addressing slaves. And for most of us, this conjures up men in chains who have been beaten and bloodied and made to do some type of manual labor, which seems very inhumane. Now, in the first century, that type of slavery that I just described did exist. But it was actually a very small percentage of what slavery in general was known as. 
In fact, some translations, if you're reading ESV, which stands for Extra Spiritual Version, if you're reading that translation, it uses the word bond servant, who in our context, if we were to translate that to 2017, would really translate to employee. A bond servant, one who voluntarily puts themselves under the control of another to pay off some type of debt. So they would work for them. They would earn a wage and or contribute to the paying off of a debt owed. But slaves and bond servants also had no rights in the Hebrew and Greek context. There were no unions to have their back to protect them or to provide help. And even though much of slavery really was just working to pay off some type of debt or loan, Paul does not differentiate between the two. Here's why, I think. Because his point was not how or why you got there. But now that you're there, this is how you should act and think. So we go up in arms. And we, oh, why does the Bible, uh, why doesn't it condemn it? It does. But Paul's talking to bond servants. Can I be honest? Most of us believe in a punitive God. I didn't say puny God. I said a punitive God. That was Avengers, Loki, never mind. Most of us believe in a punitive God. And what I mean by that is that many think that if they don't do a lot of bad, then nothing bad will happen to them. And if they do a bunch of good, then good is what they deserve. And this is the best way to differentiate, to be honest, someone who grasps the gospel of God and one who does not. And I say that with fear and trembling because I never want to be someone that's found thinking that if I do good, God owes me. If you live your life in a good way so you can get God to owe you something, you don't know the God of the Bible. You are worshiping a God of your own desires. And I love you enough to tell you that. See, my God is not punitive. He doesn't have to give us what we deserve because all of us deserve death and eternal separation from God, no matter how good we think we are. See, punitive thinking is karma. And my God doesn't offer karma. He offers grace, and grace always beats karma. So please, if you think you can stand before God one day and bring your attendance in church, your extracurricular activities of Bible studies, potlucks, ministry committees before him for your justification rather than the finished work of Jesus Christ who knew no sin and became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God by following him, then you don't know my Jesus because it is only through him that we are redeemed. So even if you're in a terrible spot, Paul's talking about like being a slave. That doesn't mean for a second that God doesn't love you or that grace is not available to you. In fact, the harder places we find ourselves in, the more we realize our need for the soft love of our Savior. You guys see that? It's usually when we're on our backs looking straight up that we realize we need him because we got nothing left to earn on our own. I wrote this, I wrote this note, and I was sitting at Pete's, 
I had my back turned. I was at the bar. I usually don't sit at the, the bar at Pete's where your back's kind of turned to the, re- the, the, the coffee place. And I had this note on my laptop, and this guy kind of walked over, and he was, like, reading my laptop. So it turns out that's a really great way to evangelize. Just write the gospel on your laptop. <laughs> and I have it on my laptop, and I'm listening to, to music. And he taps me on the shoulder. Yeah? And he says, he says, hey, thanks for preaching the real gospel. And I said, thanks for knowing the real gospel. And church, I explained that? Because what a waste of time to make Jesus a hobby. <laughs> Get a boat. <laughs> Verse 5. Slaves. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. I I feel the blood boiling a little bit. I feel it. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. He wrote it. So if slavery is wrong, why not just say that? Why seem to almost affirm it by telling slaves to get in line and listen to their masters? Probably because the norm was the bondservants. But here's the point I want you to take away from it. We are called to be witnesses no matter where we are. And some of you on the road have forgotten that. Meaning driving? Never mind. (laughs) Thank you, Mike. We are called to be witnesses no matter where we are in hard circumstances or not. That's why he continues in verse 6. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ. Oh, that sounds better. I can be a slave of Christ. He's awesome. He's perfect. Okay. Doing the will of God from your heart. Not out of have to, not out of duty, but out of the willingness to trust the Lord because no matter who you're under, you're ultimately under him. So when you don't like those who are in charge of this country, who are you truly under? Jesus Christ. Obedience is not just when you are on or being watched, but it is how you should live. One who obeys, because ultimately, like Paul, no matter our circumstance on this earth, we identify with Christ. We are prisoners, we are servants, we are slaves, and we are children of the God most high above everyone else. That's some good news. This past week, Aaron and I, like I said, roughed it for Jesus. We went on this cruise to Catalina and to Ensenada, and we had a day at sea. And what I love about cruises is my phone is off. Woo! Didn't know how much I love that until I started to pastor this church. Anyway, and so I loved being away. I loved just being able to hang with my wife. It was like multiple dates all day because we got four kids. We don't go on that many dates. We had such a good time. And the great thing about cruises is there's nothing you really have to do. I mean, you tend to eat too much, but our phones were off, and there was nothing that we really had to do other than a stupid mustard drill. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. 
And so at dinner, we chose to be at a table where we would meet other people. And so we get to this table, and there's a bunch of seats. And we sit down, and there's one other couple there, and we're talking to them. And I'm like, oh, okay. And we keep talking, and then some other couples show up. And then all of a sudden, the conversation gets good. And we start to talk about who we are, and all of a sudden, we start to talk about what we do. Oh. So we're talking to each person, and all of a sudden, it gets to us. So what do you guys do? Oh, my wife's a rock star. She's awesome. She takes care of our four kids. She did it. What do you do? <coughs> my wife is so amazing. And so here's the crazy thing. I got out of it. I didn't share with them what I did that night. But then the next day, we were, we we're having a meal with a couple, and we we're having a conversation. And they're like, hey, Tim, are you like, are you like in the FBI? <laughs> No, no, no. Well, what do you do? <laughs> so I'm a pastor. Oh, okay, now let me tell you why I didn't want to bring that up, right? Because two things happen when I tell people I'm a pastor. Um, first off, they change their language. They start talking awkward. They get all weird, and then we don't see them the rest of the cruise because we've done this before. Here's the other thing that happens. They start to tell us about how they used to go to church. Yep. And I don't want to be the convictor. I want the Holy Spirit to be the convictor. And I just wanted to have fun and be on the boat and everything. And so we told this couple, we felt like they were safe, if you will. We told the couple, yeah. So it turns out the wife used to be a worship leader. <laughs> so we started to talk about that. And the husband and I started to connect. Turns out we both have sons named Boston. What? <laughs> That's a Holy Spirit anointed conversation right there. <laughs> Go Red Sox. And so we, we start to talk and connect and everything. And so we exchanged numbers. We had a great time, hung out with them. And, and right as we were leaving, the husband's like, hey, Tim, so uh, I'd love to hear you speak sometime. Turns out I've spoken at the schools he went to. And, and he's like, I'd love to hear you talk sometime or speak. And I was like, well, I, have, I got 500 sermons online. He's like, okay. And I was like, I'll send him to you. So I, I send a text to him. My wife and I go and see Justice League. Whoop, whoop. And, uh, and we, we go and see a movie, and I text them the sermon, and then we jump on the freeway, and we're driving, and all of a sudden I get this text, and it's from the husband. And he says, Tim, I just listened to your story. You and I have so much in common. I totally understand being angry at God. I still think I am. Would you be willing to talk with me about it? Oh, I have no idea what that has to do with the sermon, but I just want to tell you the story, because it's a good story. <laughs> oh, here it is. No matter where we are, on a cruise, at work, at school, at the retirement home, in slavery, in prison, at the dentist's office, at an amusement park, you and I, if we are Christians, are witnesses for the King Most High. Woo! Verse 7. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Verse 8. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do whether they are slave or free.
serve with all your might. Serve with all your heart because it is right. Christians shouldn't be lazy. Let me let that sit there for a second. In fact, just as a prideful Christian is an oxymoron, so is a lazy Christian. The Spirit of God does not produce lack of effort. He produces fruit through our obedience. (sighs) Sorry for how this is about to sound. But I realized this past month, ever since I got here, I was actually working too hard. Some of you were like, what? You just sit in your office and read the Bible. I wish. But it wasn't just that I was working too hard. I was working too hard for the wrong reasons. I was continuing my nine discipleship meetings that I had prior to even bringing Compelled Together over here to become one church, two expressions, reaching a city. I added two board meetings a month. I'm still trying to meet with some of those who have been in this church for a long time and those that are new each week. Started leading a staff meeting, have sermons to write, work on a new sanctification process for the church that I hope to release soon, working on future teaching series, being available to counsel people when needed. I'm on three boards that have nothing to do with this church other than Valley Village across the street, all while leading a family with a rock star wife and four kids who need my attention that have my kind of energy. And you want to know the main reason I didn't slow down? It wasn't because I just have this unlimited amount of energy that's not true. It was I was afraid to be lazy. Because I see lazy Tim as the guy who did not lead his family. So I'm so fearful to get back to that. But see, I can be doing a million things for others and neglect my family. I can be trying to be the best pastor I could possibly be for you and kill myself doing it. That is why Paul reminds us that our work is unto the Lord, not unto people. We serve God before all else, and that ought to be freeing because he is the one that produces the results, not our man-made effort. You're like, what, what, Tim? No, I work in a place that's secular. I work hard, da, da, da. And I get, no, no, no. The Lord gave you your breath in your lungs so you could do that. That's good. Wow. And the reward that comes from the Lord will always be better than a human raise or a promotion or even acknowledgement from your peers. Verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Now masters or employers, bosses, those responsible to oversee a project, a company, or an organization, there should be mutual honor and respect from Christian employers to their employees if they know the Lord or not based on their willingness to promote the fact that they work for Jesus above all else. The spirit-filled boss uses their authority and power with justice and grace, never putting people under threats, never abusive or inconsiderate. They realize that they have a heavenly master who they are accountable to. 
The hardest thing I think we don't realize when it comes to authority for those who have it over us is that one day they will have to give an account for how they led, how they wielded their authority and oversaw their responsibility. And there is this common theme throughout Scripture, but one I hope we will all start to take seriously is that we're going to be accountable to God one day. Worship team, would you come on up? And as you do, I'm going to tell the story. When Queen Victoria was a child, she didn't know she was in line for the throne of England. Her instructors, her teachers, were trying to prepare her for the future, but she was frustrated because she, they couldn't motivate her. She just didn't take her studies seriously. Finally, her teachers decided to tell her that one day she would become Queen of England. Upon hearing this, Victoria quietly said, then I will be good. The realization that she had inherited this high calling gave her a sense of responsibility that profoundly affected her conduct from then on. Now, please don't take from that story that the point of being a Christian is about being good. But I think many of us have not been awakened to the fact that not only have you been adopted by the God Most High, but you are a co-heir with Christ. And because of big brother Jesus, he has given you what you didn't deserve in himself. So if you're a Christian, your calling is to follow Jesus. Your conduct should line up with this calling. So today I want to remind you that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are no longer who you once were. And that is, only that is not evidenced by a sinner's prayer or walking down an aisle or even being baptized. But by a life lived out for Jesus Christ. So or if you're actually under the authority of Jesus, obey. That should be your last point. If you are actually under the authority of Jesus, obey. Because there's a lot of people that say they're a Christian, but they don't obey, and I would throw a penalty flag. We're about to receive our offering. First, first service, you'll be very accustomed to this. We will have that table with those offering baskets up here, and people are going to come up and, and bring their offering. Second service, we do it in a bunch of different ways, but we would just ask you, if you came prepared to give, that this would be the opportunity for you to come and give of your offerings because you trust the Lord even with your finances. So don't do it out of compulsion. Don't do it because you feel like you have to, but there is something special going on at this church, and if you're not sure, look around. God is doing a work in this place. And so we are asking you that if this is the place where you consider home, this is the place where you get spiritually filled by the word of God, that we would say, we'd encourage you to give of your tithes and offerings. And so I'm going to pray for that. And during the worship time, if you need prayer, the Cortezes will be up here to pray with you over here. If God has put on your heart that you need to come to him, you need to follow Jesus, and you haven't been doing it. I'm going to be sitting in the front row. You come up to me, and I'll talk with you. Father, I pray for this offering, and I ask that you would use it for your glory. 
I pray that you would use this to make much of yourself, that people wouldn't think that we do this because we want to keep the lights on, which we do, but we do this because this is an act of worship. And so, Lord, as men and women and children come up here to drop off their offering, may they feel the the freeness to know that ultimately they're under you before they're under anyone else. We thank you for what you're doing in this place, and we love you. In Jesus' name.